Firefox is uniquely tracking its users before installing the program. Google Analytics 4 is almost here. Did Android or iOS have more malware this last year? And more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 80, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the last week. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And again, this is the third announcement now for our brand new channel. We are migrating surveillance reports over to its own channel to make everything better for you guys and to make everything better for ourselves behind the scenes. It's going to be awesome. It's already up on YouTube. We're so close to hitting that 5,000 subscriber mark. So make sure to get over there and get subscribed. Also, good news and bad news. Odyssey seems like it might happen in the near future before we start uploading to the new channel, which is exciting, but... We're kind of stumbling on some technical difficulties right now, so no promises. The sync is doing some weird stuff right now, so we're still trying to figure this out. So make sure to get over on YouTube. We're not ignoring you Odyssey and Peer2 people. You might just come in a little late, and we will be recommending some front ends for YouTube so that you people can still access anything on YouTube indirectly. So thank you. Get subscribed. It really helps us out. All right, highlight story this week. Your feathers will be ruffled. Each Firefox download has a unique identifier. So apparently when you download Firefox to install it, each installer is given a unique identifier. Quote, this data will allow us to correlate telemetry IDs with download tokens and Google Analytics IDs. This will allow us to track which installs result from which downloads to determine the answers to questions like, why do we see so many installs per day, but not that many downloads per day? You know, the questions that keep us up at night. So supposedly if you opt out of telemetry in the browser, like after you install the browser, as we generally recommend people to do, this data point will be stripped in that opt out. But why is this a default? I thought it was bad enough for Firefox not to prompt users on startup for telemetry, as many programs do, even invasive programs ask you on startup if you'd like telemetry on or off. But this actually goes beyond that and they start tracking you from before the install. Real quick, someone on Reddit this morning also pointed out, if you want to go the extra mile, you can turn off your internet while you're installing just to make absolutely sure that it's not going to send out any telemetry until you get a chance to go in and shut it all off in the menu. Cool. And also, if you truly want to avoid this all the way, if you check out the article, you can download the file directly from like where they host the file on their server and that would avoid it. And also they recommend installing from a third party website. Personally, I think that the security risk of downloading Firefox from a third party site is probably more of a risk than going through this. So I would really caution people away from downloading things from like Softonic or download.com or anything like that. A few more takeaways on my end, and then I'll let Nathan go ahead and share his takeaways. First, open source, as we now see and always continue to see, is not always more private and secure. This has been going on for ages and no one picked up on it until now. So generally speaking, it is more private and secure, but it does not guarantee privacy and security. And this is a perfect example of that. Second, if Firefox, supposedly a privacy respecting and open source project, does things like this, which for the record, I don't think are inherently bad, but the lack of transparency behind it is what I'm most upset about. You can almost count on many other programs doing the same thing as well. And this isn't something we commonly talk about or have ever really heard about. I've personally never heard of a unique identifier being attached to a download and like the download being, I guess it makes sense, but it's just not something that ever clicked. So those are my two takeaways. I don't really have a lot of takeaways. Maybe this is splitting hairs. I feel like I don't share that other programs might be doing this too. I mean, they might be, but if those other programs are based around surveillance capitalism anyways, I don't see any reason they would need to since they're already recording all your user data anyways. At least that's my two cents, but I'm actually kind of opposite of you. You're like, you know, this isn't inherently bad. It's the lack of transparency. I actually disagree. Like this is kind of where I read it and I'm like, all right, this 
might be the thing that actually makes me stop using Firefox finally. After all the crap they've done, this might be the straw that break the camel's back. I don't really have a whole lot of takeaways. I just, I thought it was kind of scummy. Like it's bad enough when you collect aggregated analytics in my opinion, which I, I see the value of, but at the same time, it's like you're a privacy company, they're defaulted on, that's not really great. But to me, this is just like one step too far. Again, this comes back to personal preference and I think you're totally valid. Everyone has like <laughs> different breaking points when the services they love keep doing crappy things. For many people, they stopped using Firefox a long time ago. Yeah, I From know. like smaller <laughs> mistakes from like 2017. I know there's so, gonna like, be people in the comments that are like, this is where you draw the line. <laughs> I picture Firefox as like a train and they had too many people on the train and they just keep kicking people off because they don't want people on the train anymore as the train's moving. And so they finally just kicked Nathan off the train. Quite possibly, yes. <laughs> I don't know. At the same time, though, I don't want to go to Brave just because I don't want to support the, like, Chromium Monopoly. I don't know. Maybe I'll do LibreWolf. I don't know what I'll do. All right, we're going to migrate over to the data breaches. The first article, a data breach at U.S. Heart Disease Treatment Center impacts 287,000 individuals. So the South Denver Cardiology Associates were the people who were affected, and this took place between January 2nd and January 5th, 2022. I'm surprised we're hearing about it, honestly, this soon. This includes patient names, date of birth, social security numbers, and or driver's license numbers, patient account numbers, health insurance information, and clinical information like physician name, date, types of service, and diagnosis. So again, not good, especially in the health sector. People seem to only care about privacy in the health world for whatever reason. So even you people who don't care about privacy probably will care about this one. Our next data breach comes from the prison services in England and Wales, who recorded more than 2,000 data breaches over 12 months. This is kind of more of a study than an actual data breach, but this report was made public as part of a lawsuit. There was an employee who was suing the Ministry of Justice, claiming that the Ministry of Justice failed to properly support them after their personal data was exposed. So I guess I'm not alerting them, not offering credit monitoring, things like that. I'm guessing they didn't really go into detail in the article. But what they did go into detail was the repeated times that the Ministry of Justice has had their data exposed. You should really read the article because it's pretty impressive. The documents basically paint this picture that the MOJ just doesn't care. This happens all the time. They're not really taking security seriously. They never really mitigate it. So first of all, that's really unfortunate, but also like I've said before, you got to remember these companies don't value your data as closely as you do, which is why we are big fans of trying to give them as little data as possible. I mean, among other reasons, but this is definitely a reason. Up next, a UK ferry operator called Whitelink flags potential data breach after a highly sophisticated cyber attack. So they've been hit with a cyber attack that may have compromised personal data belonging to a small number of customers and staff. This occurred in February. The ICO and possible victims have been notified and it affected the backend IT systems, but not the ferry, booking, or website system. They have three routes running over 100 daily trips between Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, and they carry 4.6 million passengers annually. I don't want to comment too much further. I just think it's interesting how they say it's a highly sophisticated cyber attack that may have compromised data to a small number of customers and staff. <laughs> I think they're really trying to downplay the severity of this. And our last data breach is going to come from Bridgestone Americas, who I believe only makes tires. They probably make other stuff. Everybody makes everything. They have confirmed a ransomware attack and the ransomware group Lockbit has leaked the data. Bridgestone has tens of thousands of production units across the world and over 130,000 employees, both regular and contractor, as per the company's data at the end of 2020. Lockbit released a counter for when they were going to release the data. You know, this is common with ransomware companies. They'll say like, hey, pay up in the next 
three days or we're gonna leak the data. Lockbit released that counter on March 11th. And of course, at the time, Bridgestone hadn't even acknowledged that there was a data leak. It's unclear at this time what the scope of the leak is, like what systems were affected, what data was stolen. And at the time that I wrote this, which was yesterday, Lockbit keeps changing the timer. Like when this article was written, they had like three hours left, but then I saw another article that was two days later that said they had like two days. And so I'm not really sure when this data will be published or if it will be published or exactly what's going on there. But as always, if we hear anything, we will keep you guys updated. Just a quick note on that that we should have mentioned at the top. We're recording this like a day early. So uh, if this data is already public by the time this comes out, we're sorry. Yeah, it's not only early on the days, but it's the earliest we've ever recorded in the morning. So work with us. <laughs> with that, we will move into the companies section. And we're going to start off by talking about Google, specifically Google Analytics 4. The headline of the blog says, prepare for the future with Google Analytics 4. I'm going to go ahead and quote the article here and then I'll kind of sum it up. Universal Analytics, which was the previous version of Google Analytics, was built for a generation of online measurement that was anchored in desktop web, independent sessions, and more easily observable data from cookies. The measurement methodology is quickly becoming obsolete. Meanwhile, Google Analytics 4 operates across platforms, does not rely exclusively on cookies, and uses event-based data models to deliver user-centric measurement. Importantly, Google Analytics 4 will no longer store IP addresses. These solutions and controls are especially necessary in today's internal data privacy landscape, where users are increasingly expecting more privacy protections and control over their data. In other words, we're not allowed to take IP addresses in the EU anymore. Basically, that's what it is. This is kind of something we've all known, especially if you're like really privacy minded and you've kind of had your ear to the ground for a while. They're basically saying cookies are going the way of the dinosaur. We're really focusing on being able to cross track people, especially on mobile, because everybody's on mobile these days. And again, they're no longer storing IP addresses. I'm certainly not going to say don't use a VPN because I strongly believe in a VPN. But I do think this points out that, as we've said in the past, VPNs alone are not enough. IP address is not the only way that people track you anymore. Cookies are not the only way that people track you anymore. We really have to start thinking about fingerprinting and JavaScript and stuff like that. And then our next story is also Google related. It says Google could ask for your license or passport on YouTube and Google Play in Australia. So this is an age verification measure for those who are trying to access quote unquote mature content. This is basically in response to the recently, I believe it was recently passed, the Online Safety Act in Australia. They have already implemented similar steps in the EU under the Audiovisual Media Services Directive. So for those of you in the EU who have written us before and said, hey, I had to submit an ID to watch your video. This is why. So to quote the article a little bit, it says, if our systems are unable to establish that a viewer is above the age of 18, we will request that they provide a valid ID or credit card to verify their age. So I guess I would be more worried if Google doesn't ask you for an ID because that means they've already figured out you're over 18. They claim that the IDs will not be made public, they will be stored securely, and they will be deleted once the date of birth has been verified. They also went on to say that IDs can be used to quote, improve their verification services for Google products and protect against fraud and abuse. So already we're seeing that creep where it's like, well, since we've got the IDs, let's go ahead and do this thing. The article then just kind of goes on to talk about Meta because Meta is also kind of getting in on the whole age thing. They are rolling out a tool for both Quest and Instagram that will allow parents to set time limits, be notified when teens report someone, view and get updates from who their teen follows and who follows them. And at this time, it requires the teenager to opt in on their account, but of course they are working to rectify that. Henry noted here, this is one of the reasons why we post our content to multiple platforms is, so that way if you try to watch on YouTube and it says upload your ID, you can go to Odyssey or PeerTube or 
somewhere else and not have to give up your privacy in order to stay updated. I don't know if Invidious or something like that would protect against this, because I know not everything is cross-posted to other platforms, unfortunately. I guarantee if you use some kind of front end, especially with a VPN, nothing would happen. Like if the VPN was not oh, yeah. with an, an Australian IP address, you'd be totally fine. Yeah, there you go. Use use a VPN. There you go. I just made the case for why you still need a VPN. Use a VPN, set yourself to we, Germany we could, or Canada or whatever. We could make a 15-minute video defending why VPNs are still <laughs> useful and why the whole VPNs are useless for privacy train is probably not the best train to be on. I think it's a good train to be like the anti-VPNs are good for everything train, but that's about it. All right, up next on the topic of Facebook, they were fined almost $19 million over the string of 2018 breaches of EU's GDPR. And that's pretty much the title. They're being fined by the Irish Data Protection Commission, who by the way, has been like very active the last few years. The Irish are not messing around with this stuff. So this decision was made four years in the making, so very exciting. And the next story is a crypto startup that wants to scan everyone's eyeballs is having some trouble. And I'm really glad that that's the headline. So we covered this story a while back. Some startup wants to make a new cryptocurrency called WorldCoin, and they wanted to hand it out to people in exchange for their retinal scans. This literally sounds like if I was a professor and I was setting up some dummy experiment to see how ridiculous I can make cryptocurrency sound, this is what I would do a new crypto called WorldCoin to hand out to people in exchange for their retinal scans. I just wanted to be noted, I can beat that. There is actually a cafe in some university. They're not using crypto, but they are giving students like free coffee in exchange for filling out surveys with personal data. Like, you know, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And like, what town are you from? And stuff like that. Love it, love it. So this startup is halting operations in at least seven countries due to logistical hurdles, like lack of smartphone access, user confusion, fraud, and new regulations. Don't know which of those is the truest one. And our last company story, the title of the blog post says, responding to the conflict in Ukraine. And this comes from 1Password, the password manager. They said, we are halting new account creation in Russia along with renewal payments for existing customers in the region. That's the actual quote. They basically go on to say, this is to comply with sanctions. If you already paid for another year's worth, then your account still works. But basically once your subscription runs out, if you are from Russia, your account will become read only. I mean, I guess that's better than just getting locked down entirely, but the lessons I took away from that were self-hosting, but also at the same time, we're seeing a lot of Russia not being able to access the internet. So offline copies are also extremely valuable just to make sure that you're not completely at the mercy of some company and their decisions they might make. I don't know if Henry has any other opinions he wants to add to that one. Honestly, I don't agree with their decision. They say that it's because of they have to comply with sanctions. And if that's valid, then well, they got to do that. But I don't agree with that decision. But also their approach to this was extremely generous. They could have just flipped off the switch for everyone. Yeah. So I'm actually pretty happy that they did make a pretty decent compromise there. All right, we're gonna transition over into research. And this first one is pretty good. 2021 mobile security, Android more vulnerabilities, iOS more zero days. So the mobile security company Zimperium has released an annual mobile threats report. And as usual, tons of findings. You should read the show notes and see them all for yourself, but the most notable ones, there was a rise in overall malicious attacks against mobile platforms. Most people are still slow to patch their own devices. 42% within two days. That's not too good. We need more people listening to this podcast to hear us rant about you not utilizing automatic updates. One third within seven days and 20% eight or more days. That means one in five people over a week 
still have not updated. So malware was the most common threat, but they also discussed man and middle attacks, local scans, and websites. And that Android has more vulnerabilities, while iOS has more severe vulnerabilities. There's no clear winner there, but uh, it is still a fun story. This stuff changes every year, for the most part. I know people are like, iOS has this vulnerability, therefore Apple is not secure. And it's like, that's just not how it works at all. So if that's how you're judging what's secure and not secure, you need to find a better way to assess that. This is really just kind of like a dick swinging contest between vulnerabilities and zero days. That's really all it is. It doesn't really reflect the actual security and privacy of the platforms in its entirety. Our next story, the headline is really, really interesting. Researchers use 379 year old algorithm to crack crypto keys found in the wild. It's a little bit of a sensational headline. This 379 year old algorithm is just a mathematical formula that some, I believe it was French mathematician discovered. 400 years ago, but it's still really, really interesting. They go really into the technical details, which is probably why Henry gave me this one. And as usual, I am not like a programmer or I kid you not, I have screwed up two plus two before. So a lot of this went over my head is what I'm trying to say. But the basic gist of the story is there was a company called Inside Secure. There was because they were acquired in 2019 by Rhombus. When they were Inside Secure, previously they used an insecure key generation algorithm that was very easy to crack. It did not generate keys with enough randomness that it was supposed to. Again, if you want to know more about this stuff, they go into incredible detail in the article. The lesson here that I took away from this is to remember that technology advances. They did admit that they know that they made insecure keys. I'm hoping that what that meant is we didn't realize it at the time, but now we are aware and that's why we no longer do that. So it's important to stay updated with this stuff. You know, technology changes and things that used to be secure may not be. Signal currently is, as far as we know, uncrackable. But that may not be the case next year, five years, 10 years, things change. So it's really important to remember to stay updated, not just in the sense of patches and automatic updates, but also information and to know when things have been outdated and what new advances are out there. In before a comment, Signal's not Signal's safe anymore, <laughs> Nathan? <laughs> Signal's a honeypot. What? Are you yeah. saying Signal's what? <laughs> next story, newer TP-Link routers send all your web traffic to third-party servers. So one Redditor recently decided to investigate their TP-Link router and noticed that it was sending over 80,000 requests per day to something called Avira SafeThings. Avira is an antivirus company for those who don't know. This is part of the router's built-in quote, Home Shield software. However, the Redditor had Home Shield disabled. The Redditor found a temporary fix by blocking the subdomain, and someone else shared a press release from TP-Link basically saying that the large volume of DNS requests is a bug that they're aware of and working to fix, but not why their requests get made anyways. I don't know, this exposes that a lot of the firmware on these routers, as well as just general IoT devices, kind of just do whatever the hell they want. Most people aren't checking domains on their local networks, they're not checking for these kinds of things. And I feel like TP-Link routers are like very common and it took people forever to even find this thing out. So the lesson here, try to use open source things if you can, like DDWRT, OpenWRT, Tomato, etc. anything else that you can find to try to replace that. Or at the very least, just do like a quick checkup on what your router is doing with the network analyzer, just if you're able to do that, to see if there's anything fishy going on. And also like, if you can't do any of that, at the very least, do go in and disable just the superficial things inside of the settings, because generally speaking, those are effective. We're now going to move over into politics, and this is kind of a hot one. Ukraine has started using Clearview AI's facial recognition during war. Clearview AI, a company we very much dislike, and we, they just got some spotlight last week, has offered Ukraine free access to their services to, so that Ukraine officials can better vet people at checkpoints and identify casualties. 
Clearview claims that they have not offered this service to Russia. It's unclear what purposes Ukraine is using this for. Personally, I think this is just unfortunate to hear. I gotta be honest, I don't really blame them because Ukraine is obviously in a tough spot right now. They are a smaller country facing off against what we thought was a military superpower. Maybe they're just a nuclear one based on how things have been going, but anyways, I'm a little disappointed. I hope they'll stop using it in general, but if they really genuinely do need it right now, I hope at least they'll stop using it when the conflict ends and this won't become like the TSA where it's here because it's an emergency and then never goes away. Also, just personal opinion, I don't believe Clearview for a second when they say they didn't offer it to Russia. That guy has no moral compass. I'm sure he CC'd both of them on the email. Hey guys, want this? I think something else, Clearview consistently uses this whole free access thing for a lot of people. Clearview used to be like very geared towards law enforcement and a big way they were able to gain popularity so fast is they offered free access to law enforcement for like a month or something like yeah, that. Yeah, free trials. Yeah, so like Clearview is like literally the subscription service for facial recognition for people in power, which is kind of just a weird way to put it. It's very dystopian. They also, I didn't put it in the show notes, but the article said that Clearview claims they have 2 billion Russian citizens in their database. So isn't that nice? 2 billion out of 10 billion faces in their database are Russian citizens. And our only other political story this week comes from Africa. The headline says, Smart Africa and NADPA signed an MOU to advance the enforcement and harmonization of personal data protection laws in Africa. So Smart Africa is an alliance of 32 African countries, international organizations, and global private sector players tasked with Africa's digital agenda. The NADPA, also known as the RAPDP, because it's two languages, that's the Network of African Data Protection Authorities, and they bring together African national authorities whose mission is to promote the protection of personal data and privacy as a fundamental human right. So basically, these are both organizations who work all over Africa to advance data protection and stuff like that. They have signed an MOU, which the article did not say what that is. I'm assuming it's basically just some kind of agreement to unite, to help Africa as a whole, create and enforce data protection laws that work seamlessly across the continent. So basically these two organizations have teamed up to try and make privacy laws in Africa that work continent-wide, kind of like GDPR, instead of how here in America, we just have like, Utah has a privacy law and California has a privacy law and Illinois has a privacy law and they're all different and none of them really overlap and some of them kind of conflict and stuff like that. Personally, I think that's really cool. I've heard a lot of experts complain about data privacy laws that are really hard to follow because they're not harmonious. And so I think if they can get everybody on the same page, I think that's really gonna help the African people out in terms of data protection, just get better and stronger support because it's all harmonized. We are now gonna migrate over to FOSS, free and open source news. Mozilla Firefox is gonna <laughs> kick a few more people off the train. So They're on fire this week. <laughs> they are. <laughs> They've been on fire for a good while. So Mozilla Firefox is removing Russian search providers over misinformation concerns, which I don't think is inherently bad, but I know it's definitely gonna kick some of the people off the train. So they're removing the Yandex search, mail.ru, and ok.ru default search providers from the Firefox browser over reports of state-sponsored content favored in search results. This should only be affecting users in Russia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, in Turkey. So these sites have over 100 million users per month. In 2014, Yandex was the default in Russia and Turkey in 2015. This affects default search providers, any associated customizations, add-ons, and default bookmarks. The new default now becomes Google, which I find like a little ironic because it's not like Google's also the most, I guess, neutral provider either, but like it's a search engine, you know, no search engines truly, I think, unbiased, like I said last week. So I don't know, I think this is gonna piss some people off. By the way, it's pronounced Belarus. Oh, thank you. 
There's not much else I want to say there. I'm not surprised this happened. Our next story is about YouTube and specifically the Vanced project. So the Vanced app was an Android app that allowed you to watch YouTube without any ads. And unfortunately, it is being discontinued. The developers have not stated specifically why, but the leading theory seems to be legal issues, which I mean, kind of makes sense because YouTube is, you know, ad supported. So it kind of makes sense that they would go after a project that is explicitly designed for YouTube to get around ads. And Henry has some additional thoughts about this. First, I know it's somewhat popular in the privacy community, which is always interesting to me because it's not really that much more private than using the YouTube app, which is funny. It's like not open source. It still sends data to Google. But on a different note, there's like other bots like on Discord that are being shut down by YouTube as well. So this seems to be a recurring pattern. So I don't think anything's safe at this point. So as of right now, you can still use NewPipe, which is on Fdroid and it's fantastic. I always liked NewPipe and I think it's a great service. If you don't want NewPipe or NewPipe does get shut down, honestly, the YouTube mobile site in a browser like Brave is pretty decent. It has no ads and it has background playback. So it's pretty sick. Those are pretty much my only thoughts. Our next FOSS story will come from Simple Login, who is testing a new iOS app. There's really not much to say there. We're just kind of giving this a signal boost. So if you use iOS and Simple Login, or if you use iOS and like Simple Login and just want to help them out, you can go ahead and message them on Twitter and ask to join the beta. They didn't explicitly state, but if you're not a Twitter user, I'm sure they'd be willing to accept you in other mediums, you know, like if you email them and say, hey, I want to join your beta. Our next story comes from Mulved, who has expanded their DNS blocking to include malware. Previously, they were only blocking tracking and ads. So now you can opt into malware blocking as well. Real quick, I saw someone on Reddit earlier this week say that they didn't want to use Quad9 because Quad9 blocks malware and they were kind of like, I don't know what they're going to block and I don't want random websites being blocked and stuff like that. And I get that, but I mean, me personally, I like this kind of stuff. I think it's really cool that I have that extra layer of protection there. And most of these companies really go out of their way to make sure we're only blocking something that is definitely known as malware. They're not just randomly blocking sites like, oh, we're going to block this random PeerTube instance because it might be malware because we've never heard of it. They vet this stuff through antivirus companies to make sure this is actually malicious. I want to chime in there. Two things. One, that feature is optional. There are ways to disable it and Quad9 goes through how to disable it if you are hung up on it for whatever oh, reason. Yeah. And second, this actually reminds me, some of you last week, I talked about DNS over HTTPS not coming to Android 12 or Android 13, I think it was Android 13. And some of you were like, good, DNS over HTTPS, we don't need all our traffic being sent to Google anyway. And I think all of you misunderstood that story. So I just wanted to clarify, DNS over HTTPS can be used with any provider, and does not need to go through Google. Just wanted to clear that up. And our last FOSS story is just a really quick one. Purism is announcing Librem Simple, quote, an affordable cellular plan that protects your privacy. So in October of 2020, Librem announced they were coming out with AwSIM, which is basically a proxy cell phone service. You sign up for cell service through them and they act as the proxy, kind of like Nijala is for domain names. It featured unlimited talk, text, and data for $99 a month, which is understandably a little bit high for a lot of people. So after people voicing their concerns, Purism has announced that they are coming out with a $39 a month plan called Simple, and that is unlimited talk and text, but only one one gigabyte of monthly data. 
Both of those plans are available in the US, US Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Mexico. Personally, and I'm sure Henry's on the same page, I would just get an anonymous phone if that's possible. Pretty sure it's possible in Canada, maybe not Mexico. It's definitely possible here in the US, which is where this operates. If they expand to other parts of the world where that's not really an option, then maybe I could see the value of this. It's such a bad deal. $40 a month for one gig of data? Susie uses prepaid, who I'm not gonna say who it is, obviously, but I'm pretty sure she gets unlimited talk, text, and data for a $40 prepaid plan. Or maybe it's two gigs of data. Either way, it's more than she needs because she's on Wi-Fi 99% of the time. I like Mint Mobile. I can proudly say I use Mint Mobile and Mint Mobile is I think $40 a month for unlimited data. There you go. And you can sign it's up anonymous, for it. isn't it? Yeah, you can go to a Target in the US and get, I, I've seen them at Target, I've seen them at Best Buy. You can just go there and pick up a SIM card with cash and then you can reload it online with something like privacy.com or you can, if you're really paranoid, you can really just keep getting a new SIM card every few months because I think it's a three month trial or something like that. And that's gonna bring us to our misfits. And we only have one misfit story this week. The headline says, Emotet malware campaign impersonates the IRS for 2022 tax season. This is more for US listeners. We're just reminding you guys, this happens every single year. Scammers always go where the money is. So scammers are constantly trying to scam you out of your tax returns. Just remember, the IRS will never email you or call you or text you. It's always gonna be snail mail. Always, 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 always gonna be snail mail. So, you know, when you get that call, which for the record, I've gotten that call and freaked out too, where it's like, you owe us $500 right now. And it's like, oh crap. And then I'm like, wait a minute, the IRS doesn't call me. So just hang up on them. Just a reminder for you guys, scams are out there. Criminals will always go where the money is. The reason this is privacy and security related is a lot of this has to do with personal information. When your name is out there, your phone number is out there, they can scrape that up and know, all right, this person lives in the US, they're over 18. We're gonna call them and say, you owe us $500 in taxes right now. Just be on your guard and keep an eye out for that stuff. I don't understand how people can say, I don't care about privacy, but they do care about being called by people who aren't actually the IRS, who are trying to get the personal information to do malicious things. There's just such a big disconnect for people who say they don't care about privacy. Dude, literally so much of what keeps you safe and keeps you having a normal, healthy life is because of privacy, because you don't have to think about it. I was gonna say, you know what's funny is I've gotten to the point where I start bragging about how easy privacy makes my life. Like every time one of my coworkers picks up the phone and they're like, hello? click and they're like it was a robo call i'm like yeah i don't get those that must really suck bro <laughs> i've totally shifted from i'm safe and i'm secure to my life is easy i don't get scam calls i don't get spam in my inbox i agree with you though the mental gymnastics those people make because then when you bring that up well aren't you tired of robo calls and they're like oh it's not that bad well neither is just not putting in my real address next time i buy cat food for the record i think it's totally fine if someone at least acknowledges why privacy is important and they're like yeah i think it's important i like it but i don't have time for it i have a family i like yeah. i get that but that's not what a lot of people say a lot of people are just like oh i can't deal with privacy so it's it's dumb so i think that's like a way maybe a coping mechanism for people to like justify why they can't treat it seriously i don't know maybe we're getting a little too <laughs> we're getting a little too much into this here when i meet people who are like oh i wish i could play guitar i'd be like so do it it's really easy and especially back in college when i had like all the time in the world people would be like oh, i wish i could I'd like do it man it's really easy and they're like uh, I, I don't know where i'd learn i'm like i'll come teach you i got time i'll give you lessons and they're like i i'd need a guitar i'm like you can buy a used guitar on craigslist for 50 bucks dude like i would keep badgering them until finally they're just like i don't want to make time for it and it's like that's fair don't yeah. sit here and make excuses just be honest with yourself man i don't I know, care I think... enough to make time for 
for it. I do think that's a lot of the people who say they don't care about privacy. If you were actually to talk to them in person and like really get their thoughts, I don't think they'd leave that conversation truly thinking privacy wasn't important because they'd probably realize so much of their day-to-day -day life actually depends on privacy and the control of what they get to share with the world. And I think it really just comes down to they have to tell themselves that it's not relevant in order to justify why they can't put time and energy into it. Not to make this too long, but uh, on Opt Out Podcast, I think it was the most recent episode with Nextcloud, he said something that really resonated with me. He talked about how we put forward different faces, you know, like when you meet someone for the first time, the way that you act in an interview and the information you want that person to have is completely different than the way you act on a first date and the information you want that person to have. All of that is privacy. It's the control of information and who has that information and who's allowed to know what. And I don't know, exactly. that one really hit me. I'm like, oh, that's good. I got to remember that one. That's great. I love that. And again, it comes back to what we say, which is privacy isn't about secrecy. It's not about absolute privacy because people online are like, it's 2022, get over it. Privacy doesn't exist. It does exist. The cool thing about privacy is it means different things to different people. Like the whole point of privacy is the ability to give you the control of what you want to share. For someone, you can still use Facebook and live by your own privacy standards and be what you consider to be private. For another person, that is just not privacy for them. So the cool thing is it's all individual. And that's why we say, get the f away from anyone who's telling you what privacy is for you, okay? That means anyone who tells you what privacy should mean for you because that's not what it's about. It's a spectrum. That's how I've always looked at it. And after all of that, that was our news for this report. So Firefox is uniquely tracking its users. Google Analytics 4 is almost here. Android or iOS, Oh, it was kind of a mixed bag on who had more malware the last year. And there was a lot more news. Make sure to stay subscribed because we will probably have updates to some of these stories in the coming future. Promo spot. Again, if you liked this podcast, it will no longer be uploaded to this channel in just a couple weeks. Starting in April, we will be uploading to a brand new YouTube channel. Go subscribe right now because the more people we get over there, the less of a hit we're going to take. We already are taking a hit because we're probably not going to get the same kind of viewer count on the new channel right at the gate. So make sure to get subscribed. Help us out. We want to keep this content coming for you. So seriously, go get subscribed. And again, Odyssey hopefully will be coming soon. We want to thank you for listening to the surveillance report. We're happy to know you're trying to stay safe out there. And the final thing we want to ask everyone to do is to share the podcast around and make sure you're subscribed to the new channel or on an RSS feed if you're just on the audio only podcast. Also, feel free to give us a rating if you're on an audio platform that allows that. Just keep that in mind. Like you have the direct ability to help us take privacy and security to the people around you and anyone else in the world because those ratings can sometimes impact things on these different platforms. So thanks again for listening and we will see you next week for SR81.